0: Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So at face value, there seems to be really nothing wrong with this. You know, the guy sells some property, he's going to give the guys some money. Okay, no big deal. But what we may not see is that Ananias was being dishonest and he brought his wife Sapphira into his dishonesty regarding the sale price of the property. Now, when the people were all filled with the Holy Spirit and God is moving, things like this get revealed. I recall a man in church several years ago that was leading a double life, and God brought it about, not through a person, but through the Holy Spirit. And the man was confronted on his dishonesty and admitted what the Holy Spirit had revealed. It was a word of knowledge given from the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts, again, come into play here as very practical in doing ministry. So God will dime you out. So don't try to pull the wool over people's eyes. Rather, just be straight up. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourselves a part of the proceeds of the land? Peter, he was aware of Ananias's games, and he's rebuking him for lying. It's interesting how Peter describes Ananias's sin. He allowed Satan to fill his heart to lie. We give Satan an inch, he's going to take a mile. We allow our heart to be opened very slightly to the power of darkness, and the enemy's going to come in and he's going to mess it up. He's going to trash us. So we need to always be on guard, carefully watching for the devil's deception, because he'll deceive us if we allow him to. Ananias did a good thing in selling the land to distribute it to the poor, but by lying to the apostles about the sale price, and there was no reason to lie, he completely canceled out any reward he would be receiving from God. Verse 4, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why then have you contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. So Peter tells Ananias, hey, The land was yours, man. Nobody forced you to sell it. And then when you sold it, nobody forced you to give the money to the church. you do whatever you wanted with it. There's no obligation to give money to the church here. Ananias could have simply sold the piece of property and said, you know what, I sold some property and this is how much I want to give you from the property. No problem. That's good. Instead, he gave the portion claiming that he was giving all that he had. In other words, hey, I, I sold it. I want to give you everything, you know, because I'm so spiritual. And this is a lie, and lying is evil, and unrepentant liars will be eternally punished. You know, as the Bible closes with the last chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus fires off a warning shot to the wicked. Chapter 21, verse 7, it says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son or daughter. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, there's your fornication, unrepentant fornication. Yeah, there's that one's in there. Sorcerers, that involves drugs, depending on how you look at it. Idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So you can screw up a lot of things, but don't be a liar. Once you're a liar, once you are known to be a liar, man, life just really is not that good. Nobody will trust you. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. So God strikes Ananias for his wickedness. He kills him. Why? When we look at the scriptures, we see on occasion God punishing people by putting them to death immediately. And when God is doing something new, such as when he established the priesthood at the time of the Exodus, for example, and he reminds people to take him serious, when the people mock him as Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, did, God makes a point that he's in control, and if You want to play games, you're going to lose. And this type of swift punishment is meant to put us in our place and to cause us to realize God's serious about our obedience. And it sets the tone for the future. So in Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, the priesthood, has just recently been started. God said, Aaron, you and your sons are going to have the priesthood. You're going to be priests to the Israelites. And it says in verse 1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from them before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So this seemed pretty harsh. It's like, oh man. And what's interesting about this story, go back to Leviticus chapter 10 and read it. Moses told Aaron, don't mourn. Don't mourn for him. He gets a couple of guys and they go take out Nadab and Abihu, who got it torched. Moses is like, Aaron, you know what? Stay the course. You're not going to mourn for these guys. This is God establishing a priesthood, and you guys are mocking him already by not doing what he says. Now, Aaron had two other sons, and when it came their time to minister, yeah, they probably were a little bit more obedient. But sometimes when God's doing something new, he's going to do something harsh to say, look, I'm serious here. Another example of God putting someone to death instantly is the blatant error of disrespecting God and his commands. And we find this in a story in Second Samuel, but in Exodus chapter 25, God is telling Moses, this is how you build the Ark of the Covenant and some of the other fixtures for the tabernacle there, the furniture there. He says, and you shall put poles into the rings on the sides of the Ark to carry the Ark by them. So the Ark of the Covenant was this big box with a lid on top called the mercy seat. On the side of it, they were to build rings that a long pole would go through all of the rings, kind of creating like a stretcher-looking configuration with the poles. So people on the front and on the rear, they would pick it up, and that's how you would carry it. And then in Deuteronomy 10.8, it says, "...at the time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day." So the Levites were in charge of carrying this ark. They would have to consecrate themselves, making themselves ceremonially clean before God in order to approach the ark, because the ark represented the presence of God. It was a very important article in the tabernacle and in the temple, and you just didn't take it lightly. Well, what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, the ark has been moved, but they're putting it on a cart. The Levites are nowhere around. They're not putting the poles through. They're doing this makeshift transportation of the most holy article of God, and they're putting on a cart, and it says, and when they came to the threshing floor of of Nakan, Uzzah, this guy, his name is Uzzah, put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. So he didn't want the thing to fall off, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the Ark of God. Now, is Uzzah in heaven? Maybe. We don't know his heart, but we do know God's mercy, and just because God takes someone out doesn't mean that he eternally can condemns him. I know of three people, all criminals and all female, who came to Christ and then were killed shortly afterwards. One was murdered, one was killed by a hit-and-run accident, and another died of an overdose right after she got out of jail. Are they in heaven? I think so. Yeah, the one that died of an overdose, I had a long conversation with her before she died. She was legit, man. She gave it all to the Lord, and she got out, and she went back to the dope, and boom, dead. And it looks to me like God said, look, I'm going to take you home now. You're ready. There's no need to wait. Let's get out of here. Let's be done. Because your future, the way you are, God knows the future. So he knows what they're going to do. And he's like, nope, right now, boom, I'm taking you. I believe they're in heaven. That's God's mercy. It's not cruel. Verse six the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. No funeral, just burying him. Verse seven after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Now, she knew about holding the money back. And yeah, she's part of that whole thing. She was well aware of that. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yeah, for so much. And Peter gives her the opportunity to come clean because it says that she was with Ananias when he presented the money to the apostles there in verse 1. Verse 9, but Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. He confronts her on her dishonesty and pronounces her fate. That's a bad day. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So she died and they buried her as well. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. And this fear is called the fear of the Lord, and it's healthy for the believer. If you have Bible software, search for the phrase fear of the Lord and read all of those verses, and you'll see it's a good thing to those who fear the Lord. But we need to know who we're messing with. God is not some old man floating around on a cloud playing a harp in heaven. God is almighty. He is all-knowing. He's ever-present. And when we try messing with him, we try pulling the wool over his eyes, yeah, it doesn't work. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all gathered together in Solomon's portico. So the apostles are back at the temple where they were in chapter 4 when the leaders arrested them, and again they were performing many signs and wonders. God is moving full speed ahead. Verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So the rest of the crowd, yeah, they took the threats of the leaders serious, and they opted out of the temple gathering. That doesn't mean they walked away from the Lord by any means. Rather, they felt it best not to be there. But it's important to remember, God's power is not limited to the temple. God's doing stuff everywhere. That's just where the apostles were gathered. The Holy Spirit's rocking and rolling everywhere. Even today, even in some of the most hostile countries where the name of Jesus can get you killed, the Holy Spirit's still there working. Verse 14, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So we get the sense that at the time of the apostles, when they were ministering at the temple, there was a huge following. Thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem were now coming to know Jesus. Verse 15, "...so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them." God was using the apostles wherever they went, And in many miraculous ways, confirming what Jesus told them in John 14, 12, where he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whoever believes in me. Notice he didn't say, my apostles. He said, whoever believes in me. He didn't say, whoever believes in me in the apostolic age, or whoever believes in me now. But this is going to end soon. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, the apostles' ministry is beginning to look a lot like Jesus' ministry, where people are hearing about the miracles, and they're bringing all their needy to them. So it's off the hook. The apostles are now becoming famous like Jesus did. And they would remember Jesus. They would hear about him. And they're saying, Yeah, the disciples of this guy Jesus, now they're doing it. And so people are coming from all around. Verse 17 But the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. They said, Okay, time out. Now the high priest is hot. They'd warn the apostles not to teach. And not only are they teaching, but now they're the main attraction in Jerusalem where people are coming from all over the area to see the mighty works of God performed to the apostles. And they were amazed because who can deny the miracles? Who can explain them away? Who can criticize them? Well, the high priest can. Among the many reasons for concern, as noted in chapter 4, the high priest and leaders had another serious concern. The high priest was the guardian of the temple. He was the man. He was the priest of Israel. He was the teacher of the people. He was the intercessor between the people and God. That was supposed to be his role, but they had zero power to do what the apostles were doing because, like many in the religious circles, where they deny the power of God that is accessible by faith, so they also denied that power. Faith in Jesus means obeying him, and this was something they did not have any intention of doing. Therefore, they could not muster up anything close to the power demonstrated by the apostles. And everyone knew it. It's kind of like Moses before Pharaoh. It got to a point where Pharaoh had to realize, yeah, yeah, my magicians can't do the things that Moses is doing. So then who were the true teachers in Israel? Who then were the ones truly guarding the sacred things of God? Who then became the true priests interceding between man and God? The high priests and leaders were now looking really stupid in the eyes of the people. Their corrupt reputation didn't help them out either. Think about it. The high priest with his flowing robes, his priestly attire, his entourage of high and mighties walking around like he owns the place. And now, those normal, ordinary, hillbilly Galileans who are supercharged with the Holy Spirit are doing these incredible, raw, powerful acts in their presence. Who would you rather follow? The religious establishment or the radical people doing miracles that only God could do? So they arrest the apostles again, and it says this time they put him in the public prison. We're going to show them. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Like, yo, you're not done yet. Go out and keep teaching to the temple. Go. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So they're out of prison, miraculously. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. Okay, rise and shine. Let's go back to the temple and teach the things that God has told us to do while the leaders are calling together the council, and we're now ready to lay the hate. So once again, they armed themselves with the plan, and they sent for the apostles. Verse 22, But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Uh yeah, so we went to the prison, found it secured. Yeah, no problem. But uh, you know the apostles aren't there. Verse twenty four. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering, what would this come to? A jailbreak on my watch? How? I don't get it. Well, they must have fled Jerusalem. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They didn't flee. They returned and are again teaching at the temple. Ah! You could just see things are being thrown around the room, kicking chairs, screaming, yelling. Maybe not, but... Verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Okay, guys, let's go, uh, please. Yeah, these people might stone us, especially those waiting in line to have their crazy kid fixed. I missed my opportunity, and man, you're going to pay. So they were looking at these people. They were expecting to get healed, expecting good stuff. They were seeing this happen. And to deny them of that, people were on edge. And the captain of the guards like, yeah, let's be really nice to them. Verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. You know, the high priest must have felt humiliated. So far he's getting punked out left and right by these Galileans, so here he is again, face to face with them. Verse 28 saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, Jerusalem was filled with their teaching. Go back to verse 20. It says, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. That was their teaching, the word that God had given them. This is their teaching. It's from God, and it was unacceptable to the religious leadership. And they said that you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Yep. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. See, there you go again, blaming us for killing Jesus. Well, he actually did. I mean, they're the ones that demanded it. Verse 31. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And here are the words of life referred to in verse 20. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. That's good news. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Ouch. The Holy Spirit is a witness to our teaching. Oh, and also, God has given His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. You know, in the Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit was active in Israel. And you see this in several places. But the Holy Spirit is mentioned mainly... When God was going to use someone for a special purpose, this person would complete the work brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit, someone would write about it, and then that person became a hero to the Jews. It's kind of how it went. But you see the Holy Spirit active throughout the Old Testament. Saying that the Holy Spirit is given to just anyone was a shift in their thinking, and requiring that person to obey the Holy Spirit would eliminate all those who were phony. So they could come up all they wanted, pretend to be religious, pretend to speak in tongues, pretend to do all these kind of things. They don't have the Holy Spirit unless they're obedient to the faith. So in essence, the statement is that God is filling the faithful with the Holy Spirit no matter how pathetic you may think they are. Meanwhile, God's not giving the Holy Spirit to those who are disobedient to them. It's like throwing a rock into a pack of dogs. The one who yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. And yelp they will. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. It's a natural reaction. He put them in their place. Remember, the apostles are running on Holy Spirit power. That means the Holy Spirit is going to say things that penetrate the heart of the intended audience. I've been in church many times with a bad attitude, and the pastor will say something from the word that just hits me like a ton of bricks. I hate it when that happens. But when I'm honest with myself, which is most of the time, I realize. I'm in sin, and I need to repent and make it right. And this is hard and frustrating, but, you know, God wants that relationship with his people to be based on truth. And if we can't accept the truth, then we're going to miss the bus and be standing there feeling stupid watching the bus drive away. We need to come to Christ in truth, being honest with ourselves. So Peter just punked out the high priest again, and now they want to kill him. And, you know, Jesus didn't argue with the leaders, but Peter did. Peter liked to argue. And when the Holy Spirit is speaking through a person that likes to argue, people are going to get upset. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. It's chaos, and now we're introduced to a remarkable man, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. His name means reward of God. He was the grandson of a famous rabbi named Hillel, teacher of the law and a member of the Sanhedrin. He was also the Apostle Paul's teacher and mentor. And so Gamaliel stands up, people respect him, he's like, look, put him out for a while. Let's come back down to earth a little bit. He shows a great deal of wisdom in this chaotic environment. So the first thing he does, get the apostles out. As a side note, the apostles are now removed from the setting, and yet we have a detailed account of the private meeting. You know, it may be that when Luke wrote the book of Acts, Paul, his traveling companion, recounted this meeting As an attendee. Don't know that for sure, but it would make sense that Paul, then a zealous Pharisee known as Saul, was part of this council. So he could have been there. Verse 35. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. All right, let's all take a breather and let's look at this with an open mind. Verse 36. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Verse 37. After him, Judas the Galilean, not Judas Iscariot, it's another guy named Judas. Judas was a common name back then. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. So here's his wisdom leave him alone. You know, in our day, there's a lot of churches that start in what we call church plants, where a group of people, they just start a church and it kind of grows like a plant. Our church started this way back in the 90s. Some of the churches are pretty controversial in their teaching, and some are just simply weird. But others, you know, they seem to be following the scriptures. So often you will hear criticism against certain churches based on their erroneous teachings. And we can't simply go in and destroy them like the high priest wanted to do here. We have to tolerate their wacky teaching and pray that the teaching won't land people in hell. But what I've noticed is that some of these churches come and go, just like Gamaliel said and others stay. The ones that stay, I've concluded that somehow and in some way God is using them because he's allowing them to remain open. And even if, in my opinion, these churches are whacked, God can still use them for his purposes. So I got to put myself in check and not be too concerned with trashing other churches. That's not helpful. That's not good. God is the one who keeps the churches open. He's the one who keeps the movements alive. And there's a lot of movements that are questionable today, but there's something that God's doing with them. Otherwise, he shut them down, like he's done a lot lately. A lot of churches are closing their doors, and people look at that like, oh no, they're closing their doors. Well, there's some churches that probably need to close their doors because their faithfulness in their teaching is not there. So Gamaliel's wisdom here is not only practical for that situation, but it's also wise for us to be careful what we do with others, how we judge them. Verse 39, but if it is of God, you won't be able to overthrow him, and you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Yeah, all things considered, this could actually be God's hand working through these men, guys. And if so, he ain't going to stop it. So be careful. So they all agreed, yeah, leave him alone. Well, hey, before we leave him alone, let's beat him. That'll make us feel better. Verse 40, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. Here, that'll persuade him. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And this must have really irritated the council. (laughs) They beat them, and they walk out praising God. We were worthy to suffer dishonor for your name, Jesus. We praise you, you know, that kind of stuff. What a great... Attitude. What a great witness. Oh, that we would be that way when someone reviles us. Not reviling us for being stupid, because we can be stupid. And if we're reviled for being stupid, that's on us. But those who want to come against us and say that we're stupid because we follow Jesus and all this kind of stuff. Okay, you know what? You're worthy of suffering dishonor for his name. So rejoice. Verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, or the Messiah, is Jesus. Back to the temple, every day they ministered. Thank you.